Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten about. Happy belated Mother's Day to all of the moms listening to the pod, and happy belated Mother's Day to your moms as well, but only if they deserve it, because... I know there's a larger narrative surrounding Mother's Day that all moms need to be thanked and cherished, which largely is true, of course, but not everyone has a great relationship with their mother for a variety of reasons, so just know that if you don't, I'm on your side. I'm briefly going to get a little dark, but I promise you I'm going to pull it back up to the light. We're not going to go down like a sad journey. Um, But I don't personally celebrate Mother's Day because my mom died of a drug overdose when I was 14. And even prior to that, her presence in my life was largely TBD. I don't mean to sound callous or anything because I still love her and there has never been any hard feelings at all. But she was hugely into soap operas, and I knew she'd really like Real Housewives, so that's something I'm sad we can't share in. Similarly to me with reality shows, she would refer to soap opera characters by their first names as if they were close personal friends. Not too different from my good buddy Luann and I. I think that Beverly Hills would probably be her favorite because of the soap alums and just the overall soapy aesthetic and vibe. And I also believe that Kyle would be her favorite simply based on the fact she was vehemently Team Jen Aniston when I was a loud and proud Team Angelina Jolie supporter, which caused a lot of discord between us. I always end up contextualizing time periods through pop culture, regardless of the circumstance, even when the circumstance is my mom's untimely and tragic death. So she passed away in 2007, which means she never got to see Real Housewives of New York. I often wonder if she caught Bethany on Martha Stewart's 2005 Apprentice show, though, and if that made any impact on her. I could see her being really into early seasons Bethany pre-Jason Hoppy, and I could also see her being into Dorinda, but one I'm definitely sure about that might puzzle some of you. I think she would be a ride-or-die Kristen Takeman stan. I think she would gravitate towards Kristen's just kind of meekness and like that she's pretty and project a moral standard onto her as a result. Just no shade against my mom. I love her. As my mom's hypothetical fave Dorinda would say, I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. On the subject of Kristen Takeman, she is the only real housewife I've ever seen in person. And I wish that the story was more eventful than what I'm about to divulge. But we were both at the World Trade Center Mall in NYC, and we made very extended pointed eye contact. Since I don't celebrate Mother's Day, my father came over to make us lunch. I hadn't seen my dad since Christmas, much less since Aaron and I got married last month with everything going on. Plus, we don't see each other super often anyway. But it was nice to see him. He made tacos, by the way, and included roasted garlic to use as a condiment. 
Despite all of our issues, that proves he's the man who gave me life. My love of food definitely started with him. I've been wanting to get him into Bon Appetit Test Kitchen for quite a while and have even recommended it several times, but I knew there's no way he would arrive at the decision to watch organically. My dad is quite young. He's only 50. He had me when he was 23. So his refusal to engage with the internet in any capacity is a pure choice. It's not a matter of things going over his head. He just refuses to learn. And that's his own journey, I guess. So with that being said, I decided to put videos on in the background when he was here. And as expected, he was super into them. I had him pegged as a Chris Morocco and Claire Saffitz, specifically Gourmet Makes fan, and I was correct. So I curated a Bon Appetit playlist for maximum enjoyment, and we both certainly did. Something that was super infuriating, though, we were watching Chris Morocco's show. I don't even know if it has a title when he recreates dishes strictly from taste. My dad kept on ignoring the ingredients list that would pop up on the right side of the screen. And he would like keep on refuting Chris's ingredient choices, even when they were correct, and be super emphatic about it, even when I would be like, well, it says that there's sambal in it right on the screen. And he would just refuse to acknowledge what I said. And then alternately, whenever Chris would use a wrong ingredient that wasn't in the original recipe, my dad would be like, yes, absolutely, you nailed it, exactly. And once again, my intervention was not acknowledged in the slightest. That's sort of symbolic of some of our larger problems, but for an out-of-context, just chill, bon appetit watching day, totally fine and absurdly amusing as well. My frustration was quelled each time he said Brad Leone is really good looking without any prompt, which was at least two or three times. Before we put on BA, he asked me to put on music when he was cooking, and I had quite the grand scheme. Earlier this week, I was listening to Touch in Public by Charles McMansion, Tom Sandoval's former band, uh, the other guy actually took his own life and was a Scientologist and a lot of other things. I just recommend Googling him. But Aaron was like, I think your dad would really like this song because that sort of funk inspired thing is very much up his alley. So of course, when he asked to play music, that's the first song I put on because I was desperate for him to say that he liked it and get into it only so I could tell him right after that it was Tom Sandoval. Because he's very aware of the Pump Rules universe because of me. But unfortunately, he didn't take the bait. He was too like focused on making Pico de Gallo. I will most certainly try again and again and however long it takes for him to make a positive comment about Charles McMansion's touch in public in any capacity. It was a chill and lighthearted visit that I very much enjoyed. It was great seeing him. But something I took major issue with, I need to vet to all of you, because the only person who knows right now is Aaron, who witnessed it. But earlier this week, I made strawberry jam that turned out beautifully, because Milk Bar's Instagram posted the recipe on their stories. 
So I immediately followed suit and I asked my dad if he wanted to try any. And I brought over the jar to him with a clean spoon and he stuck his finger in it. So I'm still grappling with that. I have no further commentary, but I just want you all to know that's what I'm up against sometime. On his way out, he gave Aaron a hug and said verbatim, you're sleeping with my daughter and you're stuck with her, which I guess was his own way of saying congratulations on the wedding. On episode two of this podcast, I recapped some present day 2020 drama between Lacey Skulls and Heather Chadwell from season one of Rock of Love. If you haven't listened to that, please go back and do so because there's a lot of conflicting and messy information I'm about to unpack. And I think you need the prior equally messy and conflicting information to have any context whatsoever going forward. So a few days ago on my YouTube recommended was a video entitled My Only Message to Heather Chadwell. This was by a creator named Zach Peter, who has the podcast No Filter with Zach and a corresponding YouTube channel with the same name. From what Zach said in the video, his content is largely housewives-focused or Bravo-focused, But he decided as a fun quarantine creative project to do a reality throwback week. So he was releasing interviews with all these fixtures of the era, like Lacey, 12 Pack, Safari from Flavor of Love. He'd also reposted some old interviews he did with Tiffany Pollard and Hoops as well. Zach reached out to a handful of people for this endeavor. That included Heather, who didn't respond. He wasn't necessarily singling her out by including that detail, as many others left him on red, too, but it's pertinent for what's to come. Lacey and 12-Pack were both asked about Heather in their interviews due to the drama of both old and new varieties, and 12-Pack explained how their I Love Money fling was largely for show but that Heather often devolved into obsessive or somewhat erratic behavior. He also said there's no hard feelings on his end whatsoever, but brought up super recent shit talking by Heather, which included an accusation that 12-pack has an eating disorder, which is pretty fucked up. He is overall just confused that she's harboring such bitterness 13 years later, but wishes her the best. That was like the overall sentiment of his interview with Zap. Lacey was also asked about the Talk of Love podcast drama and explained some of their issues, but very much leaned into how she cares for Heather and harbors no ill will. Heather was very bothered by both interviews, but at this point in the story, Dave, aka 12 Packs, was the only one that aired, so she had yet to see Lacey's at this point. She reached out to Zach via DM to let him know that she was pretty upset with the content of the interview. And Zach accordingly responded with compassion and kindness. He let her know that she's more than welcome to come on the show to give her side of the story and sort of clear the air. But not only that, to catch everyone up to speed on her life since Rock of Love. So it would be a platform for her as a whole, not just as a rebuttal for the drama. 
She accepted his offer, but some time went by because they were working out scheduling conflicts and all of that. When she followed up with him to set up a time, she was furious that the original interview with 12-Pack was still up, even though Zach never agreed to take it down in the first place and was never even asked either. She said that she and 12-Pack are cool now. They talked, and she demanded that Zach have him back on the show to retract his statement. He, of course, found this very strange because if Dave has something to say, then he could contact Zach about it. So this was all quite peculiar and, as we can likely infer, probably was not based in reality. Heather then said she won't be coming on the show because it's clearly a setup, although obviously it was nothing of the sort. After that whole debacle, Lacey's interview aired. Heather responded by flooding Zach's inbox with a slew of legal threats, stating that this is slander and that his interviews are harassment. Neither of these things are true because his interviews are largely based upon publicly available information with no further addendum of character assassination against Heather. In fact, he, 12-Pack, and Lacey, respectively, all kept things um, pretty polite toward Heather. So the summary of the video, and to go along with the title, his only message to Heather Chadwell is simply that he's not going to take down interviews or be intimidated by empty threats of legal action, which I think is more than appropriate. So I was riding the high off of all of that information when I went back to the YouTube homepage and I saw uploaded seven minutes ago by the Talk of Love channel, Heather Chadwell says, fuck you to Talk of Love fans. The video was quite long, but the overall message was that Heather reported the Talk of Love Patreon and got it shut down and claims ownership over the Talk of Love podcast. Lacey makes the very good point that reality show podcasts are not a unique idea by either of them. So the idea doesn't belong to Heather. It doesn't belong to her. It doesn't belong to anyone other than the very first person who made a reality show podcast. Lacey also explained that the Patreon is currently one of her main sources of income, so in reporting the Patreon and getting it taken down, all of the patrons were refunded and Lacey lost out on a whole lot of income. For the time being, Lacey is moving to PayPal, so patrons can individually support her if they choose to, but she just went into the gravity of the situation that Heather is essentially taking food out of her mouth while also lodging increasingly bizarre threats and spreading weird things about she and her family. I'm going to be transparent and say that overall, Lacey has come out looking better in this situation than Heather is. We don't know what the truth is. We might not ever know. But based on what's being put out there by both women, Lacey is looking a little more reputable currently through my own lens. She did have a pretty big misstep at the end of that video, though. 
when she directed Talk of Love fans to contact Heather and let them know how upset they are. If we lived in a perfect world where that's all people would do, I would say go nuts. But Lacey's a smart girl. She knows how the world works, and Heather is now on the receiving end of some pretty evil stuff, which I don't condone. After that video came out, Heather was popping off on IG stories indirectly. She was sharing like the dictionary definition of the word narcissist and abuser and things of that nature. One of those also included a gif of a knife, which I think was not the best choice. But anyways, Heather was saying all throughout the week that her truth video was coming, which I was waiting with bated breath for, honestly, I'm being completely sincere. And then when she released it on Saturday, it was through her OnlyFans, which I was ready to purchase a subscription just to see this video. But her OnlyFans is $10. And I'm not here to knock any woman's hustle, especially in this economy. But from what I gather, because when you go on someone's OnlyFans who you're not subscribed to, You can see the captions of all of the media that they're posting. And it does not seem like she's offering a lot for $10 a month. But then again, I love someone just throwing money at a woman for simply existing. So go off, I guess. But with that said, I wasn't about to pay $10 to hear this. Thankfully, someone ended up screen recording it and it was sent to me. She eventually released this for free on YouTube, I believe as recently as this morning. But the optics of charging $10 for a video where you supposedly want to clear your name doesn't look amazing. So in this hour or so long video, she has her friend by her side who is a drag queen named Shami Brahim. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly whose presence I was unclear on. It didn't seem like she was doing much other than just sitting there and being like, yes, queen, to everything Heather said, but whatever. This video was essentially just a regurgitation of all the original allegations Heather lodged toward Lacey that kickstarted this whole drama in April in the first place. So she mostly focused on things like Lacey owing her money, as well as the alleged domestic abuse from Lacey to her husband. And she focused a weirdly long amount of time outing Lacey for becoming an exotic dancer, which even if that's true, I don't really see how that's relevant. And she also expressed that Lacey did something so horribly embarrassing her first night on the job that she wasn't going to reveal now, but if things continued, she was going to reveal it. So that was all quite strange to me when the issue at hand, in theory, is ownership of the Talk of Love podcast. Heather was also armed with a truckload full of receipts, which... I say very loosely because those receipts consisted of printed out screenshots of text messages. I'm not saying those texts were fake. I have no way of knowing if they were. But I will say 
printing out an iMessage is probably one of the easiest things to fake. But Heather repeatedly was quite emphatic in saying, you can't Photoshop this. Heather, I'm sorry, but you absolutely can Photoshop that. As I said, the video is quite long, but that's what the content more or less boils down to. Since publishing the video, Heather has publicly come out against the Instagram throwback reality clips, which is a great page, by the way. Love their feed. But she is putting them on blast for stalking and harassment, even though, as far as I can tell, all they do is repost old reality clips as well as um, modern, relevant screenshots of public Instagram comments. So I'm not sure if that legally qualifies for either stalking or harassment, but that is currently Heather's cross to bear. On the subject of publicly viewable Instagram comments, Lacey actually responded to Brandy C on Instagram via the Talk of Love podcast account and said, it's getting out of control. The latest is that she's now going on YouTube and threatening to post my home address and saying she will have people break into my house. She says that I'm dead and she is still publicly trash talking my husband too. It is absolutely insane. So make of that what you will. Heather has also continued to pop off in the stories. I'm pretty sure she's also deleting YouTube comments, but I can't confirm that. There's also a YouTube account that's using Heather's first and last name along with her photo to troll her with hate comments. And she's pretty adamant that it's Lacey. I don't know if she actually believes that or if that's the narrative she's trying to spin publicly, but that's how she supposedly feels. I think it's probably not Lacey. It's probably just some rando, but what do I know? She's posting all of the hate comments they're leaving, and most of them are pretty evil. But the funniest one to me is how they left one that said Trump 2020, which is a huge lull because Heather actually is a Trump supporter. So I hope it's clear that I don't want anyone's safety or livelihoods to be threatened, whether Heather or Lacey. But as long as this just remains internet drama and doesn't cross the line, I am going to continue relishing in it and reporting on it to you guys because this is all I really have going on right now and I have no shame in admitting that. Moving right along, I want to briefly talk about last night's episode of 90 Day Fiance. I'm not going to do a full recap or comment on every one of the couples, but Big Ed and David must be discussed. I also want to bring up that 10 hours of raw footage of this season's tell-all leaked online. I read on Reddit. I haven't actually watched it yet. I did read some of the spoilers, but just be aware that's out there if you have time for it. Firstly, I just want to give a big round of applause for Rose. Witnessing Big Ed's Day of Reckoning was truly a thing of beauty. For those of you who don't watch 90 Day Fiance, let me give you a little synopsis of Big Ed and Rose's relationship. So Ed calls himself Big Ed because he's 4'11", and I guess that's just his way of coping with humor or whatever. 
but he is in his 50s. I forget his exact age. He is not exactly a classically handsome man. I'll put it to you that way. And Rose, conversely, is a pretty 23-year-old girl from a poor village in the Philippines. He alternates between speaking to Rose like she's his own daughter or a sex robot. To clarify, she is neither of those things. She is both a human woman and his girlfriend. There are endless examples of their unsettling dynamic, but here's one that transcends the rest. After getting her drunk and finally having sex, he demands she shaves her legs on camera while also bragging like a teenager to the producers about sealing the deal. He also once gifted her a toothbrush and mouthwash immediately after giving her lingerie as well because her breath is bad. Her breath is bad because she has an ulcer rather than poor hygiene. This doesn't even account for how disrespectful he is toward her family and culture either, but I digress. You get the picture. After watching this vile little beast degrade and humiliate this young lady, who, by the way, is six years younger than his daughter for weeks, she ended him. She did this by ending the relationship and matter-of-factly and calmly listing all of the fucked-up things he did to her during his visit to the Philippines. He then countered with the classic manipulative, abusive technique of being like, so I'm bad, you think I'm a bad person, to then make the other person feel like they're obligated to comfort you. But Rose handled it like a true boss, and she simply said, yes. That's pretty much my ideal fan fiction scenario of many of the couples on this show. So to see it actually play out in real life was immensely rewarding. Let's move along from one freak on a leash to another, David. So David's scary ass has been stalking this Ukrainian mail-order bride named Lana all season. For several years and thousands of dollars, he's been stood up four separate times by her. He found out from a private investigator that she also has several accounts and men that she's speaking to. But David is just Dr. Phil Guest levels of delusional, and he refused to believe it and fired the PI. She finally showed up after, like I said, several years and four no-shows, which is obviously because she was paid by TLC. But I hope that she's okay. I've seen a lot of speculation that David possibly threatened to sue the website for for fraud, And the site then forced Lana to show up to combat any of that. So I hope that's not the case and that she can simply take the money and run because David is horrifying and I feel no sympathy for him. On the 90 Day Reddit, a lot of people mentioned the documentary Love Me, which is about the Ukrainian mail order bride websites and situation. It's also available on Tubi. So I watched that, and thankfully that documentary actually humanized the women instead of just focusing on these, like, bumbling idiot dudes and actually showed their backgrounds and families and just their side of things. So I want to know more about Lana. 
because I think she's likely the most interesting person on this show. And David can fucking beat it. I'm over him. I just wanted to quickly pay respect to Queen Rose and Queen Lana. But now let's talk Bridalplasty. Bridalplasty is a 2010 e-show hosted by Shayna Mokler, or as you may know her, Travis Barker's former wife, where brides-to-be compete in bridal-themed challenges, and when they win a challenge, they get a surgery knocked off of their plastic surgery wish list, but the grand prize is also their dream wedding. On last week's episode, I thoroughly unpacked all my thoughts on cosmetic surgery-centric competition shows. So I invite you to listen to that if there's any ambiguity on my stance. That said, I earnestly have been loving bridalplasty while also acknowledging how dark-sided it is. I never watched it when it aired originally, and I've just been slowly watching it this week before bed, and I'm really into it. It's also a 51 Minds production, which are the juggernaut behind the Of Love franchise, and it definitely shows. No matter how reprehensible the content, I feel like I'm being swaddled by a dryer fresh blanket when I spot that specific subtitle font. Please write in if you know what the font is actually called. Since it's a 51 Minds production, it hits all the casting marks that I'm looking for. There's a perfect mix of alphas and betas. I think that the hardest part to stomach for most normal people, though, which I don't fall under that category, are watching these women who are recovering in wheelchairs with, like, bandaged mummified heads as they scream at one another about reality show minutiae, alliances, who's voting who off, etc. I definitely understand why the show was so widely criticized and panned, but I hate that Janessa missed her well-deserved reality TV villain notoriety as a result. So those weekly challenges that I mentioned ultimately boil down to jury-style voting eliminations, the direction of which Little J, a.k.a. Janessa, has determined every time at this point in my viewing. I think I'm on episode five or six. Since the show is in 2010, I also really enjoy the dated references and absolutely hideous clothes. In the last episode I watched last night, Lisa Vanderpump's pal Kevin Lee, the one who body shamed Katie, makes an appearance alongside Juliana Rancic for a floral arrangement challenge. I know that at this point my references to sleep paralysis demons might be trite, but Kevin Lee and Juliana as a team are truly it. My use of the word it can also refer to the clown that lives in a sewer. So taking a hard left now, I did also find in my research that Lisa Marie, who's one of the contestants, died a few years ago. I don't want to get into it too much, but I also wanted to put some respect on her name because a former student of hers actually murdered she and her husband. It's really awful and the details are easily Googleable, but I simply wanted to acknowledge this because I think it would be kind of weird if I didn't. So I know that's a really weird note to end on, but speaking just for the show, if you're down for some critical consumption and a dystopian viewing experience, Bridalplasty is available on all apps under the NBC Universal umbrella. I personally use the Bravo app on my TV.
think I'll probably finish it at some point this week because as I said, I've been actually enjoying it a lot and I look forward to watching it before bed. I'd also like to invite you again to listen to last week's episode if you're unclear on my feelings about this subject matter, but I didn't want to be repetitive since I'd already discussed it at length. So if any of you want to chat bridalplasty, feel free to DM me because it's very much fresh on my mind and I need someone to talk about it with. I'm going to take off for now. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed talking to you as always. You can find me on Instagram at Botox Groupon, and that's B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N. And you can find the podcast on Instagram at Real Housewives of Neopia. Additionally, if you want to, there's a support button available on the descriptions of every single episode. If you wish to support this endeavor with a small monthly fee, there is no obligation, but the option is there. I'll talk to you guys next week. Love you. Bye.